Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. What's up, Wayne? It's good to be back again. You know, of course, I hope everyone's following the show, but more than anything, I want to make sure I invite listeners uh, to go to 5gguys.com and um, give us some feedback, give us some comments. And there's an area in there, you go to contact us. We want to hear what questions you guys have, what ideas you have for episodes. Uh, What Wayne and I are offering at this point is if we get some really good ideas, we'd like to offer a free consultation to you uh, if you have a great idea or a great question or problem you need help solving. And that consultation may turn into an episode in the future. So um, go to 5gguys.com, submit your questions, your ideas, uh, your problems, and we look forward to connecting with you guys. So today for this episode, Wayne and I uh, thought it would be good for us to tackle one of the the biggest burning questions that we probably get more often than any other when people find out what we do for a living. And that's a topic that the cellular industry, quite honestly, doesn't do a good job of proactively addressing. That being people asking about the safety to their health of cellular. People asking us, you know, is cellular service and things associated with cellular and wireless, are they safe? Are they hazardous to my health? Yeah, yeah. I get a lot of questions around around that subject of, I think I've received some in email, you know, talk about the safety. Some of the questions that I get, though, Dan, are like, are cell phones safe? What about cell towers and cell cell sites? Um, it seems that today um, cell phones are supercomputers. You know, does that mean they're safer than they were five years ago? Does cell phones cause cancer? Do they produce radiation? And then the one lately, I think, in 2020 and now... The 5G conspiracy did, you know, in certain topics around that. But, you know, maybe we start off, you know, addressing just the historical reference on cellular safety over the years and bring people from where it was to where we are today. What do you think? So, yeah, that, that's a good idea. History of, of safety in, the, in cellular here in the U.S. is, uh, I think, a good place to start. Um, you know, we've talked in prior episodes about everything that happened in the mid-90s with the Telecom Act and, and that. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to our Cellular 101 episode. Uh, Wayne was at the episode, it's like one or two, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so at the same time that uh, the FCC issued all this additional spectrum, Telecom Act came out. They also had their Office of Engineering Technology take on safety and and standards for that. And so since the mid-90s, all of the cellular carriers or any wireless operator for that matter was made responsible for um, making sure that anything they deploy, whether it's a device, whether it's a cell site, any sort of transmitter whatsoever that transmits radio waves, has to um, comply with regulations 
that have been deemed to be safe, way more safe than limits that a bunch of scientists they commissioned. It was like 40 doctors, scientists, professors, engineers, they all came up with safe limits. So yeah, so since since the mid-90s, we've been operating in the US under um, regulation by the FCC to make sure that these cell sites, phones, everything are operating at levels well below anything that could be deemed dangerous. Yeah, that's awesome. Another good segue is the types of radiation that are out there, you know, that what comes from, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but even riding in an airplane frequently, you know, exposes the body to different types of radiation, I think is cosmic radiation. How is that, you know, how does that compare to what the technology we use today? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think it's important for people to understand that there's two types of radiations um, that can that can occur in in the world around us, ionizing and non-ionizing energy. The best way that I can describe the difference is ionizing energy is things like ultraviolet rays from the sun, solar solar rays from like solar flares, gamma rays from cosmic radiation, X-rays when you go to the doctor's office and you get an X-ray. Those are all ionizing energy, and what ionizing energy does is it it literally can like remove electrons from particles in your cells and it can also impact your cells even after you're no longer under exposure to that radiation so when you mm-hmm. when you uh are in the sun all day right mm-hmm. and you you come into the hotel room from being at the pool you may not have a sunburn at that point you may not be red you may not even feel it i think we've all had that happen and then that night you take a shower and all of a sudden you're burned right that's wow. Right. That's ionizing energy. That's it can still impact you when you're not exposed to it anymore. Non-ionizing energy, which includes radio frequency waves, does not impact you anymore after you've left the presence of it. And it's not impacting your particles by removing electrons in the way that ionizing energy does. So that's a really, really good distinction. So RF energy, microwaves, radio waves, those are much safer. They're non-ionizing. They don't impact you when you're no longer in the presence of them. So it's a, I think it's a really good distinction for people to understand. Yeah, that's a, that's a great explanation. Um, it kind of brings me to the thing that we get asked a lot, our cell sites themselves, you know, the towers, the rooftops, the light post, are they, what kind of radiation do those, you know, produce? And are they actually dangerous to be near them? Right. Yeah. So technically, with if if an operator is complying with the limits the FCC regulates, there should not be a situation where you can be exposed at levels that are dangerous unless you're standing literally right in front of the antennas of a cell site, like literally a couple feet away from you. And even then, you're still safe within the limits that the FCC regulates so long as you're trained and you understand that you can only be in front of them for a certain amount of time. You know, 10, 15 minutes at a time, you take a break, you walk away, do some other stuff, come back later. That's what people in our industry that have to work on antennas, if they would happen to work on them while they were they were live, would do. But for the general public, there's no, there's no risk whatsoever because the FCC dictates that the general public cannot get access to antennas in a way that they could be right in front of them. So if there's antennas on a rooftop, for example... By law, that rooftop has to be secured, locks on the doors, signs that indicate, hey, there's, there's you know, radio frequency transmitters on the roof. 
if the antennas are such that you could walk in front of them, there's signs that say, hey, beyond this point, you know, levels could be, could exceed what seem to be safe for the public. There's barriers oftentimes that carriers will put up, you know, chains, things of that nature to prevent people from getting in front of them. So for for the normal citizen, if you've got a cell site, you know, let's say across the street or out in front of your house on a, a light pole, the amount of energy that you're being exposed to in a space of like literally 10 feet falls off by a factor of, you know, one one hundredth of the energy that was coming out from that antenna to begin with. You go, you know, 30 feet away, excuse me, 100 feet away, you're one one thousandth of the energy coming out of it. I mean, so RF energy falls off as a function of distance super fast exponentially to the point that you're, you're going to get more exposure from the RF energy of your microwave oven standing in front of it waiting to heat up your lunch than you're going to get oh. from a cell site. Oh, wow. We better disclose. We're not sure. <laughs> People will be like ditching their microwave ovens. Hey, well, that's a good point. I think the key to what you just said is it comes down to distance, right? right? Especially with cell sites. You know, if you're up there on the tower beside the antenna, you might have a risk. It depends mm-hmm. on you know, what the antenna is. But for all of us, you know, the, the it's up in the air anyway. There's barriers around it. The risk is pretty much nil because of the distance between right. yourself and the antenna where the right. power is produced. Yeah. So let's say that you're a technician that works on air conditioning units on rooftops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should pay attention to the fact that if there's signs that say there's cell site antennas, watch where they're at and don't work in front of them. And if you're going to have to work in front of them, you need to get the training so that you know how to do so safely. But even in that situation, the risk is still quite low, but it's important to understand what the risk is in that situation. So that's probably the the most common, I think, area that the the non-industry folks need to understand. It's interesting that you say that because since we've been in industry a long time, when we first started going to the rooftops, what do we see on the roof? We've seen FM antennas. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, the FM antenna and the amount of power that's in those was twice or 10 times as much power as in a a cellular antenna or RF frequency in that side. So is that, I mean, is that that's right. a true statement? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you remember back in the day, you'd hear like radio stations would advertise, you know, 10,000 kilowatt you know, blasting the Rockies, <laughs> yeah. like they would, they would, you know, brag about how much power they're putting out. So literally like, you know, kilowatts of power, thousands, tens of thousands of watts. A cell site is like 40 watts. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, it brings us to the next thing, uh, the next subject that comes up all the time. So we talked a little bit about the types of, you know, the radiation that's out. Now the site, what about the phone? You know, what do you say about the phone? You know, since, we're all getting new phones, uh, whether you're a Android person or Apple person, you know, you're after the latest, most powerful hand computer. So what do you say about that? Yeah. Well, and, and especially considering we just talked about the importance of distance being the safety mm-hmm. factor. Well, a phone for many of us is sitting right on the side of our head, right? We're holding it up to our ear. So, uh, for sure, if there's an area that you need to be most concerned with, and, and by the way, disclaimer, you and I aren't doctors, we're engineers. No. So I can speak to this from the standpoint of, from an engineering physics standpoint, what you need to do and how it works. You know, I can't answer what's going on in your cells, things of that nature, right? That's what these experts, the FCC hired did for us. But having said that, 
I always tell people, listen, if you have any concerns, I don't think you need to be concerned because the FCC's regulations also apply to devices. Device manufacturers are required to ensure that the levels are within those safety standards. However, the proximity to your body is important to take into account. And so if you're spending hours and hours and hours on the phone all day, don't use it on the side of your head. Use a hands-free device, for example. Just that small amount of distance of it sitting on your desk a couple feet away has a huge impact. Like I said, you know, you're going to reduce the power by one-tenth by being just two, three feet away from you. So it's it's an interesting thing that you bring up, the hands-free side of it. So... You know, when we first got our phones, a few years, we were attached by a cord. Nowadays, you know, you can buy the AirPods from Apple and you can choose all types of wireless earbuds in order to get your Mm -hmm. signal. So are you helping yourself in that situation? Or, you know, is that since it's a Bluetooth frequency, is it so minor that it doesn't make a difference? Well, for sure, the 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 out and this is an important point. I'm right, glad you brought this up. The amount of output power in a hands-free wireless like earbud, like AirPods uh-huh. or whatever, they they are lower power than the total output power that your phone is operating at, but not significantly less. But it is less. So, you know, your phone, whether you're on a call or not, is transmitting. So while it's sitting there. It's communicating with the network to send updates back and forth, get information. You know, it's recording. If you use Google devices or Google Maps, it's recording your location and sending that info up to Google every now and then. So Google knows where you're at, things like that. So, um, so yeah, so you're still not eliminating RF energy with those AirPods. The safest would be, you know, a wired set of ear, ear, earphones, right? They don't transmit any energy at all other than the sound vibrations coming through them. So but yeah. it's, it's, de- it's definitely interesting because we're moving into a more connected, I guess, body experience. You know, you have your, your Fitbit or your whoop band, which is Bluetooth connected. You also have like, for me, I wear the Aurora ring and it tracks my sleep patterns and I use my earbuds, you know, my earbuds, whenever I'm talking on my phone, so as we get down, the, we're going down the path of being more connected and getting data on our health and different things, we are potentially exposing ourselves to more radio frequencies. Now, Bluetooth, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on it for sure. I'm not sure, but it's definitely a low, low power connection, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. All of those, all of those devices, like there's others besides Bluetooth. There's Zigbee yeah. and there's Loran and all these other low. They're all low power. They're intended to be very low power for for close proximity communication between devices and things like that. There's RF energy when you go through the front door of your grocery store. Those automatic door openers have a sensor that is transmitting radio frequency waves to sense that you're nearby. You know, so we've got radio frequency all around us. We've had radio frequency around us for forever. Our hotspots in our home that provide Wi-Fi, that's radio frequency. You know, you're getting exposed to radio frequency pretty much all the time, anywhere you're on earth. When you get out of the city, there's less, right? Because you have less devices Mm -hmm. around you. But even when you're out in the country, you're getting exposed to, you know, cosmic radiation and solar radiation. And, And so I think, you know, people just have to understand that. And, and it's, and it's reasonable. I mean, Fear of the unknown, like I said earlier, right? 
mm-hmm. just understand and educate yourself and, and, and we'll take the talk about this a little bit later, but the conspiracy theories, right. We'll address some of those here in a bit, but just trust that. And I know it's hard these days. People, you know, say, I don't trust the government, but trust the government. We have the EPA, we have the FDA, we have the FCC. Their job is to protect us and they do a really good job of it. They've got great scientists um, that look out for our, our well-being and, and, and the same is true when it comes to, you know, RF energy. One other thing I wanted to point out too is, you know, historically when we first had cellular phones, they were like three watt output power. So mm-hmm. we had a guest on earlier, Marty Cooper, in a previous episode, if you didn't check it out, father of the cell phone, that first cell phone he invented was, I think it was three watts. Our cell that phone. Brick, brick phone, that brick phone. That big brick. That's right. Three, <laughs> yeah. Output power of three watts. Our cell phones now, maximum output power is 250 milliwatts, right? Wow. So, so that's, you know, that's one twelfth the power. So there are really low power devices even on the phone side. Yeah, when you think about the overall scheme of where the world's going, and we talked about IoT earlier on another episode, you know, all of those connected devices are all wirelessly connected. Your car is getting more wirelessly connected than it ever was. Yeah, in the past, we may have had, we may have had FM, AM radio, and we had satellite. Now we have wireless connections to your car. And so I think it is something that we should continue to talk about on the safety of the devices. But mm-hmm. to your point, there's guidelines that are set up and they are you know, set up to make sure that we're not getting overexposed. And I think to your point, as technology improves, that we can expect maybe some continuing less power as there was in the past. You know, it seems like it's got continuously better over the years on mm-hmm the amount of power and the amount of wattage and what you can do. Yeah. And the other, the other factor too is frequency, right? The higher the frequency of the radio waves, the quicker it falls off over distance as well. So we have a couple of factors in our favor on our safety Mm -hmm. as well, not just the distance, but in on top of that frequency. So as we talk about 5g, the new oh, yeah. 5G deployments that are going on that are at, they're at very high frequency waves. Those frequency waves fall off much faster than, say, FM radio, which is at a lower frequency. So that's also working in your favor when you start talking about cellular communications. As we're advancing 4G, 5G, we're using higher and higher frequencies, which also create more advantage in the in the loss over distance for for. Um, now that's a challenge, right, for the carriers. Mm-hmm. A 5G cell site can only cover, you know, a few blocks, you know, a few yeah. hundred meters, maybe a thousand meters max, max. Whereas a old 2G cell site, those we were building those things every five, 10 miles because they covered. Wow. So that does open up, you know, a big topic that's been in the news, especially in 2020 was the 5G conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Are the towers, did they cause COVID? Did they do all these weird things? But really just in your previous statement, since we need more of those and the signal doesn't carry as far, is that even a a true, you know, is it, is it, is that just a conspiracy? You know, what do you think about that? Should we tackle that in this episode or is that an episode on its own? I don't know. Well, yeah, I think there's a couple of things you bring up there. Uh, Before I tackle the, the COVID 5g conspiracy, I'll, I'll bring up just the fact that there's so many more sites that are needed for 5g than for past. And, and I know that, People's kind of emotional response and gut response to seeing 5G, first of all, five is bigger than four is bigger than three. So I think that there's been this 
this like inherent assumption that, well, five's bigger, therefore it must be more powerful and it must be more exposure because five is bigger. No, that not at all. It's, it's going the opposite direction. The fact that 5G needs more sites does not mean that you're being exposed to more sites in any given location. The carriers, you're still being served by the same number of sites in any given location. It just means that you're going to be handing off between sites more frequently over shorter distances. But any given location, you the, the network will not work correctly if you're being served by too many cell sites at the same time. If you're getting excessive energy from too many sites in one location, it's too much interference and the network can't make heads or tails out of who's supposed to be serving your call or your data service. So I think I think you bring up a good point though, right? So when I heard that 5G is coming out, the prediction was we're going to need another 300,000 cell site. Mm -hmm. I think what people sometimes forget is when you have more competition, you're going to have more cell sites, Mm -hmm. right? They all, unfortunately, we don't live in a world where every carrier could use one antenna. That'd be the ultimate world for us, aesthetically pleasing wise in the building of the network. You build four or five or how many competitors or different networks. So with that being said, you know, some of these, I, I can see where the industry, uh, as they roll out their marketing and they say, we're going to need this many cell sites, it does bring fear into people because you hear it and you're like, oh, wow, they're going to build 300,000 more. But they don't go back and tell you, to your point, that they're less powerful in that side of it. They're just, it needs to be a denser network to carry the speeds. And we're, when we talk about 5G, like ultra wideband, we're talking like, gigabit speed or close to it mm-hmm. five six hundred megabit mm-hmm. uh right now current 4g speeds i mean we're we're lucky 50 60 megabit across the country huh mm-hmm. right yeah there's nothing more than that right so yeah no but you're right i think it's a good point that and you touched on it briefly like the more service providers we have in a network or, or an area the more sites you're going to have that are exposing us to RF energy to serve you. So when we used to have six, seven carriers, we had Cricket, we had T-Mobile, we had AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, we had Boost, we had like, well, Boost is a mm-hmm. is not a carrier, but but you get my point. We had, we had multiple six, seven carriers. We're now down to, in most areas, three carriers now. Verizon, mm-hmm. T-Mobile, and AT&T. You get into some regional areas, you might have a fourth. So as consolidation is going on that's actually t-mobile's in the process of consolidating sprint sites into their network because they bought them and they're going to turn down a bunch of sprint sites that aren't going to be operating anymore so that's reducing the overall number of sites that might be transmitting energy into a given area as competition is now going back to fewer competitors so that that's a a bit of a benefit as well Um, wow it's a it's a big subject you know safety because it covers so many facets of it, you know, I mean, it's not just, you can put your finger on one thing, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the site, it's not only the site, the phone, the, the other wireless devices, but it's also the type of antenna, the type of network, the type of speed. So all these things come into play when we think yeah. about safety yeah. with cellular, but we live in a safer world than we did. Right. Correct. Absolutely. And, and by the way, there there's all your local government agencies are your watchdog looking out for your best interests that are making sure that these carriers comply with these FCC rules. So it's not just the FCC that's keeping people on us, but your local city, county regulators that regulate the 
the construction of these sites, they're ensuring these carriers are analyzing their sites. I've I've myself been hired by carriers over the years. I've probably analyzed close to a thousand cell sites to confirm uh-huh. that they are operating under the guidelines and safely. I've I've made carriers change the designs of their sites because they were excessively exposing people either you know, I, I've gone to a rooftop that didn't have the door locked or have signs. And you could see that, you know, tenants were sunbathing on the roof, right? You'd see beer cans and stuff. And we'd have them fix all of that, right? And and make sure yeah. it was safe. T-Mobile, I think it was a few years ago, got fined like $60,000 from the FCC for a rooftop site that didn't have the doors locked and didn't have, you know, protection to keep people away from the antennas. So, so it, well, you, you really, you triggered something for me. Here's a question I think that's really important. So we're, you know, this is the 5G guys. We're talking about the cellular industry that we're part of. But there's a lot of frequency being used through internet service providers, through first responder and safety and, and ham radio and all these other things. That does also impact safety. And we're just talking about our industry per se. Wouldn't you agree that... There's frequencies used for so many other things, not com- not just communications. That's right. But when I would analyze those rooftops, for example, I yeah. had to analyze not just that service provider, T-Mobile is that one example. I had to analyze every other transmitting source of RF energy on that rooftop. And I had to account for the collective impact of all of those together, all those different frequencies. So this oversight and this regulation and the, the engineering analysis that we do is is across the board for all sources of RF energy, like you're talking about. So, interesting. Yep, it is addressed, and it's a lot of work. There's a lot going, a lot of sausage making behind the scenes going on. But you know, are there people that maybe are cowboys and and don't follow the rules? Yeah, there there always are, but they're outliers. And you know, I think the local jurisdictions have gotten smarter. Our zoning and planning committees, you know, at our cities and counties are are doing a great job of making sure that they stay on top of things. And, and when they have cowboys pop up, they get in trouble, they get fined, they get taken off air. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it makes me think we should probably do a podcast and the differences between the cellular type of 5G and fixed 5G connectivity versus the new Starlink like Elon's trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, is satellite safer or is it more powerful? You know what I mean? Because um, that's that's going to be, a. I think, we're still three to five years uh, away from having that heavy penetration, mm-hmm. even though they may have some Starlink things up now. But before the rest of the world gets onto that, China, and we have all these satellites up there, what are the impacts there versus what's on the ground, the terrestrial yeah. type things? Yeah, we could definitely go off on a tangent on that. that uh, that'll definitely be a future episode. We'll talk about how does satellite play into, into telecommunications. Um, I think it's a good topic. But, but we never did tackle the 5G conspiracy theory. So let's tackle that. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So I guess tell me what you've heard from people that ask you about it. Yeah. So I think once, so 5G conspiracy, I think what really brought it to the attention was the vandalism as, especially in the EU, you know, as the towers were being built, they would go in and burn the towers down. Right. And then what I've also heard about it. So vandalism was the first thing that brought the conspiracy to, you know, the forefront. Oh my gosh, 5G's bad. But what I have Research and what I learned, it came from 
the same groups who were really worried about, oh my gosh, electromagnetic sensitivity disease, you know, and that dovetails a few, maybe 10, a decade ago where power line safety would cause these disorders if you live near a power line. And that was the conspiracy then. Now we're moving into 5G. But that's kind of what, you know, my take on it was, is it, then I've seen some articles, did it cause COVID, which we know it did not, you know, and, but I think it, it comes from the overall, the conspiracy comes from the same people who believe that any radio frequency or any electromagnetic is bad for humans and it will adversely re- affect their health over time. But that's my point. That's where, you know, sticks out for me and where I, you know, it started coming up. Some people ask, it's really a hard one to even consider. Mm-hmm. Do you really think it calls something like this? But I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, similar. And, you know, I I think I could tell you this, that as an engineer, I'm not aware of any technology or advancements that people have come up with where radio frequency waves could transmit and move organic material. Right. I mean, well said, (laughs) if you could, it would be like Star Trek with the teleporter. Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Right. And I would think that if someone did come up with that technology, we would know about it. Because they wouldn't keep it buried to try to to try to expose the world to a virus, but exactly who knows? Uh, that's my two cents. Like I just, it's it's too far fetched to uh, to even think too much about. But I have thought a bit about it, and and that's what it would take. It would take someone to figure out a way to move matter with radio frequency waves. Well, if you think about it, if you use the term airwaves, mm-hmm. right? A lot of this virus was you know spread through breath and into the air mm-hmm. same place that frequencies ride you know and where signals transmitted so i could see where they would try to draw the comparison but i mean draw the comparison but i don't i'm with you that would be a cool part if we had to tell you know some of the star trek <laughs> technology out today but we all know it doesn't exist yet right right so yeah. so yeah and then and then i think the 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 vandalism thing Fortunately, in the U.S., there wasn't a, a lot of it. There was a little bit. And I think some of it was people that were, you know, worried about the 5G side of the conspiracy, others that were just more generally worried about 5G. But again, it doesn't take a lot to educate yourself before you realize that that there's really only good things that are coming from this advancement. Things are getting safer. They're getting more regulation out of them, not less. So, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the other thing I always tell people is, again, I'm not a doctor, but you know, there's people like myself that have been using cellular service and been around cell sites for, you know, 30 years. I can't tell you how many hours a day that I've spent on a phone for the last 30 years of my life. Not to mention that I've been on rooftops, I've been on towers, I've been, and, uh, and there's, you know, with the, with the, the expansion of people having more than one cellular device everywhere in the U S you would surely see more occurrences of health problems. Um, if it was, uh, in my opinion, just the pure statistics of it, right? The pure statistics mm-hmm. of it tell me that you should start seeing long ago a lot of a lot of issues if there if there was a problem. So that's just just me as an engineer running the numbers in my head, right? Again, I'm not a doctor, but that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I'm not a doctor either, and I agree with you. you always have the one offs that we that we. When our health fails, no matter if it's you or a loved one or a friend or someone you know, you try to reach. 
And, you know, I think it's, it's human to try to rationalize what caused it when there is no cause or you can't right. find one, right? So you reach and jump. It does sound like a lot of the the 5G conspiracy in, in EU was perpetrated by environmental terrorists like they did here, whether it's building a ski resort or an off shell, there's always people out there who are willing to use, you know, terrorism type tactics to fuel the flame of conspiracy anyway. But I, I would agree with you with so many connected devices and so much coverage. I think it would be, you would know this, but most people, our listeners may not, is like when you look at RF propagation maps, mm-hmm. right? Of the different frequency levels that's being used. It is insane. Everywhere you even could think about, there's some kind of service. If I'm not mistaken, I think you can do a call from like Mount Everest mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in today's world versus where you couldn't. And, you know, I've been up in the mountains of Colorado way back, backpacked in, whether it's elk hunting or hiking, and you get to the top of the peaks around 10,000 feet and you got coverage. Mm -hmm. You could actually text your wife or do whatever. And so things have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, where coverage is out there. But I, I agree with you wholeheartedly just by general statistics with so many connected devices now. And I'm not even sure where we're at today. Do you know what that number would be of connected total devices? Oh, well, uh, if, if you're talking just phones themselves, there's... Well, just phones and IoT has well, got to yeah, be built. Internet of Things devices, parking meters and refrigerators, and it's, yeah, it's billions. It's tens of billions. Gas meters. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's quite a bit. It's more more devices than people, for sure, by a large factor. So I think I'm, I'm hoping that this, this was a good overview to kind of help um, dispel some myths educate folks so that they have some peace of mind. And, um, and you know, what we'll do in the show notes is we'll put some links to a couple of cool resources from NASA and the FCC, what have you. So you can look into it a little further as well yourself, as always, you know, go to 5gguys.com, comment, ask any additional questions or things we said that might've been confusing or wrong for that matter. I've, I've been wrong once or twice in my life, I think. <laughs> so am I. So am I. I love it though. It was a, it was a great way to sum it all up, put some you know good content from our perspective who built the network and been around for so long. So mm-hmm. great job on those questions, man. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Subscribe or like. Tell your friends, and we'll see you guys next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Five G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.